And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. You already know what it is. It's another episode of Gold Mines. And on Gold Mines, we do what? We get inside the minds of amazing individuals. And those individuals, I mean, goodness gracious, they go so widespread now because we're figuring out that amazing, well, that term fits so much. Uh, And I think that the discovery of those that fit the term is what we do very well here on Gold Mines. And today will be no different because amazing exactly what this person encounters. Uh, We are talking success. We are talking a hyphen in between the title because it's not just one. It's titles. Titles. We're talking film, television. We're talking the world of books, author. I mean, this is something special right now. Um, a phenomenal actress she is, an amazing personality she has become, uh, and just a bright spot, just a dope bright spot. Your energy is always like whenever I've seen you, because I've never had the pleasure of like really encountering you and meeting you in mm-hmm. person, but your energy uh, while being interviewed, talked to, or um, I guess you can say just questioned, it always just seems it always seems to be vibrant, um, and Thank that's something. You. I've to vibrancy is very very good ladies and gentlemen she has a tv show uh right now i think it's called is it called prank panel yeah prank panel prank panel prank panel panel on abc uh i said author um and not just because i had to but because that's what she is uh she's an author of a book called this is just my face try not to stare i like that we'll get into why uh also an amazing actress you're familiar with some of her work um i mean award-winning work we can go back to the days of precious of course there's been much more since then but ladies and gentlemen she is she has let americans get away with saying her name wrong for so long okay so to the point where she is she has given them a rhyming component she has said, say Gabourey like Cabaret. Out of pure frustration that you just can't get it right. But well, Kevin Hart. <laughs> well, okay. Kevin Hart is going to get it right. And okay. it's Gabourey. It's Gabourey. Gabourey. Yeah. Gabourey Sidibe. Yeah. Yes. Huh? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah, fucking let you. people say it wrong. I would, <laughs> I would check every single one of them. No asshole. Tired. I get tired. I'm 40. Okay. My name has been my name all 40 of these years. And I just Mm -hmm. got, I used to be, I didn't let people call me Gabby until I was like 15. I was like grown. I used to fight people over my name. And then at some point I was like, what am I fighting for? Um, Say what you want. Say whatever's closest. Gabberate. You know what? Uh, I do think that the, the power of the nickname um, is sometimes like, I think it's I think it's undermined, right? Like because the nickname comes from those that you're around the most mm-hmm. that are deserving of doing such a thing. The strangers, the strangers like that come in with the the nerve, the and the audacity to try to nickname me without knowing me. That's 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 different. It's I think really you should it is really I, weird. And also even, you know, Gabby is not even my real nickname because my name isn't Gabby Ray. No. <laughs> my no. name is Gabu Ray. My real yes. nickname is Gabu. Gabu. Yeah. That's that. what my mom and them call me. So, but like, I, love that. I had to let, you know, I sort of, I sort of have been like, Gabby's not even a real name. So if you need to call me that, that's fine. But it is very strange when a complete stranger will be like, Hey G. And I'm like, yeah. who, like what? what? Who did you, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Hey, you don't get you the right to do are? that. 
Yeah, no, not not here. When you said uh, your your mother gave you the nickname, um, before we get into like questions and you know uh, in depth interview, um, how big is the family? Where are you from? Give me the give me the backdrop. This is Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. You already know you're going to eat some of those McDonald's golden fries on the drive home, so. You may as well add an extra order just for that. <laughs> for 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. We return to Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. So I am half Senegalese. My father is from Senegal, from West Africa. Okay. My mom and them is from Georgia. So okay. uh, half of us are from, I have a very big family on both sides, but the family I grew up with are mostly Southern, but I'm from New York City. And so a lot of weird story. My mom is like number, my mom's like number eight of nine kids. And her oldest, one of her older sisters, not her oldest, but her oldest is they're from a tiny dirt poor, like the town is so small. I think my family owns it now. Um, yeah, really strange outside of Columbus, Georgia, and no one's even heard of Columbus, Georgia. Uh, but they're from Charles Junction, Lumpkin, Georgia. Heard of Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia is an amazing market for me. It's fun. You're listening, you're looking at a guy that's a stand-up comedian. Do you understand that? Oh, yeah, you've seen go, some places. We go everywhere. We have <laughs> we have been, if you name it as a comedian, we have been there. Uh, whether it's after success or before success, everybody wants to laugh. So you'll find a lot of those smaller markets act as some of the best markets um for the up-and-coming comedian. So oh. I am I am very, very familiar with where oh, you're good. talking. About. Well, so that's the closest place where they're from. And my my one of my aunts uh, is uh, was a political figure and she brought a lot of her brothers and sisters to New York City. And so my mom moved to New York when she was like 12 and she like my aunt started a school for like on the Upper West Side of New York for like the elite elite black people like the children in the daycare and the school were like Richard Pryor's kids and Cosby's kids and what? stuff like that yeah really I, my mom was their teacher and so um what? so yeah so we have a we have a we have a bunch of family that's like in the, the I grew up in New York I'm from Brooklyn from Bed-Stuy originally um where she met my dad and that's that's essentially where I'm from but the bulk of my family is in Columbus now so, I mean, I got to back you up because I'm, I'm now beyond intrigued. So when you said started the school and, of course, the school, um, the, the reason behind it is, like you said, for, for an elite um, space and place of learning, opportunity, et cetera. Uh, how did they get to the position to do such a thing? Like the funding or the support? Like where did all that come from? Or, or do you not um, know? I think one – it's it's really interesting. You don't get interested in your family until they start disappearing. So it's I very true. 
I definitely should have asked more questions. But I think one of the stories was that my aunt, my aunt Dorothy Pittman Hughes, who was the one who got out of Georgia first, apparently uh, she went to go see Lucy and Ricky in in their vaudeville act and she met them backstage and they thought she was smart. So they asked her to come to New York to work for them. And then, so that's how she got out. And then she just, my aunt was really good at wheeling and dealing. She was, um, she was Gloria Steinem's like right hand for a while. And they actually, yeah, Gloria, Gloria was like terrified of public speaking. And my aunt, she saw my aunt doing uh, public speaking and that's how she got into it. And the Gloria Steinem had a movie made about her, I think two or three years ago. And Janelle Monae played my aunt. So I say all that to say, I should have asked more questions because I don't know how she got funding, but she got it. You know what's crazy? I mean, when you when you're in a position to grab that type of understanding about your loved ones and you find that there's such a crazy historic trail to opportunity, I mean that has to be beyond like uh it's it's captivating. You know what I mean? Like when you when you hear that, like and it's not my family, but I'm all into it right now. I'm like, God damn. So. <laughs> Hold on. Now, wait a minute. Now, what? Now, that's just one aunt. But you said your you said there was nine, right? Uh, my, yeah, my gr- my granny had nine kids. Uh, nine my kids. Gr- yeah. Now, were they all? I mean, you know, speaking of Dorothy, who is one of your aunts, uh, were the rest of your aunts and uncles the same? Within just you know, ambitious, hungry entrepreneurs, are there are there crazy stories amongst them all? Um. Amongst everyone, yes, but quite a quite a lot of them stayed in Georgia, okay. and so um, and they and they were you know they had really important lives, but you know in a specific market you know there's there's gotcha. kind of a cap on what you can do. But my mom, I like I 100 percent would not be who I am if my mom hadn't made it to New York because okay. my mom my mom was a singer and she she like performed at Studio 54. My mom has been in movies. Uh, my mom has an Emmy plaque because she sang on the soundtrack of some, I think, docu-series that won an Emmy. And so she got a plaque and she was, she's been on a bunch of television shows. She did the Apollo. Um, she did like, there was a show called 30 seconds to fame. She was the first winner on it. My uncle who also had made it out my mom actually, um, after being a teacher, she was actually a teacher in my school. And she she quit and became a subway singer. And that's how she raised my wow. brother and I on tips. And uh, and my mom would always have like these gigantic crowds around her, you know, watching her perform for hours. I mean, we were still very poor, but she was special and it was very clear. And she started subway singing because my uncle Roger was first a subway singer and that brought him out to Vegas. And then for whatever reason, his song became Obama's running song for Obama's very first. Uh, what the? What is yeah, no, I know. I know. This, I'm sorry. I usually, like, I know. It's a whole. Like, this is like, for, <laughs> you're taking me down this road of connectivity. There's so many amazing things. You're just throwing it in the air as if you're not saying what you're saying. This is so dope. This is so dope. Okay. So yeah. apparently, I mean, entertainment is in your family. Talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, is what you have. Um, and, you know, you said, like, if it wasn't for my mother, I would not be uh, who I am or where I am today. Um, you didn't dig into that. Like, how influential was she to you and your your entry into the business? 
What did I, she do? What did she like? How did that merger happen? Well, certainly, you know, I mean, you, you, you have parents. Uh, it's at some point, you know, you know, when you like can see your mom and you can see your dad and you can see the grownups in your life and you're sort of making decisions about your own life. And you say, like, I, I literally, you know, my mom fully staying in the subway for, for tips and she loved her job. And I was terrified every day for her terrified because like she would, she would perform at like Times Square and she had like her amplifier. She was by herself and she had like a bag where people would put tips into. And so I was always afraid that like, you know, at the end of her shift that someone or that a few people would rob her, you know, one time when she first started seeing the first year, she was in the elevator of our building and the elevator like dropped a few floors. So she fell and it hurt her back. And so she couldn't sing anymore because she, cause it's physical work. And it's, and my mom, my mom had a really, really powerful voice. And so she would go hoarse all the time. So she could only sing like two or three times a, a week, which was scary to me because I was like, no, no, no. I need to know when I'm going to be paid, how much I'm going to be paid. I need all of these things. I need a schedule. I need a real, you know, I, I didn't want, and my mom used to tell me, she'd be like, you should write a book. You're so funny. You should, you know, you should, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a stand up, And so she'd be like, you need to write a joke book or you need to start acting. You need to sing a song. You need to do this. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not interested in chasing a dream because it's scary. I want stability. And I think the further away I pushed myself from this, I somehow ended right goddamn there Still, like I somehow ended up here anyway. And I think it was and I and I thought that like watching my mom struggle and watching us struggle because we were her kids would uh, lead me to a nine to five. And it just somehow did not. And so even though I was trying to do the opposite of her, I still ended up here. And I know it's because of her influence. Do you do you think right when you say because of her influence? You, you were like, yeah, I didn't want to. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Um, I want to, I want to go deeper into that. Like what, okay. what was the resistance for? Like, why, why not? Why wasn't, why do you think you, why were you not as intrigued? Uh, of course, as you are now, like in the beginning, say, what was it that, that was like offsetting to you? Well, when, so my mom and my dad, they separated when I was like eight or nine or so. And we had to move in with my aunt, the the one who got everybody out to New York and we lived Dorothy. in one. I know you're yes, talking Dorothy. about. I'm invested. Right, Dorothy, you know. Yes, I'm in I'm here. I'm Dot. I'm Okay. <laughs> we lived in one room in her house, my mom, my brother, and I on two beds. And it took us about two years to get our own apartment. It was a studio apartment, which led to us sleeping, the three of us, in a bunk bed for five years. Wow. I did not have between... The age of nine and 16, I did not have a door to close between me and my mother and my brother. And that was the resistance. I did not want to live like this. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to... I, I wanted a door and I know it sounds crazy, but like it was, it's all for the door. I wanted a door. <laughs> like I wanted my own space. I wanted my own bed and I wanted, I wanted comfort. And I thought the only way I can get that is through like a regular job. I wanted to be a therapist. I was like, I got to go to school and I got to get a degree. And that's what I'm going to do because I watched my mom dream. And along with dreaming, like 
Dreams come true all the time. But as you know, it takes years and years and years for those dreams to come true. And watching my mom, watching my mom suffer and her essentially And it wasn't that my mom failed. My mom was really, really afraid of opportunities. I watched my mom say no to a lot of opportunities. And I didn't understand the psychology behind that at all. I just knew that it wasn't for me, that I didn't want that. I'm going to tell you something. First of all, when you say, I know it sounds crazy, but I just wanted the door, right? Like I just wanted the, I wanted, I wanted the door. I don't think it sounds crazy because I can relate, you know, like we, we were in a, I can't even call it the studio, mm-hmm. um, a one bedroom, you know, it was an apartment, but it was basically just like, I, I put pictures up a long time ago where I like showed people like what, where I've come from. And it was a picture of me standing in like a kitchen and you can see like the duct tape on the walls. It's like the, taping up the cracks so the roaches can't get through the duct tape. And it was like the windows, tape on the windows. But we had a hallway. So me and my brother had to sleep in a hallway. My mom had made makeshift bunk beds in the little hallway area. Oh. So we'd go kitchen, this little hallway, that's me and my brother bunk beds, and then my mom's room. So we never had a room. The idea concept attached to your own space we were never familiar with from the age one to my age you know 17 18 I think I moved out when I was 18 we didn't we didn't have that so I totally understand what you're saying and I can also understand you know the the drive and energy attached to not wanting to struggle um not because your parents are doing a bad job just because you know how hard they're working and how much they have to do to make sure that you're okay. I know that feeling. I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with the, it's not the burden. It's the one of like, I can't wait till I can do something and, and make this better or yeah. have something a little more secure. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, because even I, I, I moved out of the apartment once I got, like, I, I had to get, I had literally accidentally became an actress. I got precious. And then I was terrified. You can't speed by that. So the like, okay, so know. I know the story, but the okay. world does not know. I don't think you know the whole, maybe you don't know the whole story because it's long. I'm going to try to truncate it. So you don't again, have to, you want to. <laughs> well, okay. So Again, it starts with my mom being a subway singer, right? Mm-hmm. My mom's a subway singer. I am 19 years old. I mm-hmm. am in college. I'm doing my thug fizzle. You know, I'm trying to get my shit together oh my God, so I can get out of the house. This is over 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 19 and my mom comes home and she tells me, hey, a director stopped me in the subway today after watching me perform and she wants me to she wants me to audition for a movie but I'm not going to do it and I was like why would you not do that and she said well I don't know it's based on a book and so she gave me the book but in the book the mom is raping the daughter and Mm -hmm. she lets the dad rape the daughter and I don't think I can do that Um, she wants me to play the mother. And I was like, babe, it's a movie. Like, why are you singing in the subway if it's not for these opportunities? 
you know, and it wasn't, and this wasn't a rare opportunity, like before some years before this, maybe three or so years before this, the director, David LaChapelle had seen my mom performing and approached her and asked her to be in his documentary rise. And if you remember, like rise was the, remember when crumping was a thing? Yes. David LaChapelle did a movie talking, about that. You're talking to possibly one of the best crumpers <laughs> oh, in the history. I'm sorry, I wasn't familiar with your work. Yes. My I don't bad. Know, I don't know why you, it's weird. Maybe we both don't do research, but if That's you did, on me. That's if on me. you did, you would have known that I am not only a advocate for crumping, I am probably one of the most passionate crumpers. Like, My apologies. I mean, Yes. So, but either way, yes. I I so, know I know the movie. I'm familiar. I'm following. By the so way, I'm invested. It. You're a good storyteller. Thank like, you. What the fuck? Like this is I, at this point, it's not even like an interview, right? None of them are. They're always comfortable. But I'm really invested <laughs> with your you. story. My Go husband's ahead, always on. telling me I need to have a podcast, and I'm like, I'm too lazy. But okay, so. <laughs> If you so, my mom is actually singing in the movie Rise. I personally think it's out of nowhere, but she isn't like she's in the movie. She got to go to Sundance for it and everything. So it wasn't weird that a director would come up to my mom and say, "I want you to be part of my film." So, but she was telling me she didn't want to do the movie, and I was like, "That's insane! It's just an audition. You should do it." She's like, "But I was a teacher for so long. I don't want any of my children's." Uh, parents to think that I was touching them and raping them. And I was like, you're, mind you, her children were older than me. Like the ones that she had, like, I was like, I promise you, these 30 year olds know that you didn't touch them. And so she was worried about it. And we got into a bit of a fight about it. So she made me read the book, the book called Push. Mm. And um, after it, after reading it, she checked she, in with me. She had read the book. She, she read, read it. Book? Yeah, she okay. read the book. And because we were in a fight about it, she made me read it. And then she checked in with me and she's like, do you understand why I don't want to do it now? And I said, I get, I was like, yeah, this is, I don't know how, how the hell they're going to make a movie out of this. But like, I still think that you should audition for it. Like, I don't think, I think people will believe that you are an actress as long as you're an actress. Mm -hmm. And she said, nah, I don't know. I think Monique should take this role or somebody, Um, but not me. And I was like, Monique's not even a dramatic actress, but okay. And she said, well, do you want me to see if they cast the girl yet? Because I don't think they cast her. Maybe they can cast you. And I said, get out of my room because I wasn't an actress. <laughs> you know, I was, I was very, very, very um, intent on having an office job. I was going to get my, my psychology degree. I think five years later, uh, five years later, I get a, at this point, I'm, I had sort of dropped out of school and I had to get a regular, I got a job. I got a job as a phone sex operator and I, what? I got a job as a phone sex operator. How much no, research no, did you do? I heard, I heard it, but the, the, it's like, when you say it, <laughs> you just gotta keep talking as if you didn't say it. So like, what, what I just make sure, I just make sure that we, okay. you know, that like, we're, this is a discussion. Okay. Right, so true. Like you didn't say, oh yeah, I got the job and I was at the, you know, I was working <laughs> as a waitress here and then I stopped doing that and I went and found another job and I was at like a bookstore. So you went straight to phone sex. You well, felt that this was a place where you were going to see success. A hundred percent, because let me tell you, okay, I had, I was completely unemployable because I'd never had a job before. And I had a teacher that was like, oh, you should do, you should do telemarketing 
because okay. I was like, I was pounding the pavement of New York City. I was like trying to work in the ESPN zone. I was trying to work okay. here. I was trying to work, you know, and everyone was okay. like, no, thank you, ma'am. Um, and so when my teacher said telemarketing, I heard in my spirit, deep in my Shondo, yeah. phone sex. Cause okay. <laughs> nice. that's what, nice. that's, that's what that's came what upon me. It is. What is it the is. audition? What is the audition Baby. for a phone? Like, is it is it a <laughs> like? I'm I'm quite sure because you can't just go. No, I can do it, and they're like, "All right, good. You start tomorrow." I'm quite mm, sure, like that's no, a heaven. They throw you on the phone immediately. They really make yes. So, like, literally, what happens is I audition with like two other women, these two other black women, um, and they tell us, you know, like there are certain things, like listen be white over the phone, be young, be cute. Like the job isn't to actually have sex. The job is to keep the guy on the phone. So distract him, distract him, distract him. That's how I became a good storyteller. So, and then they, they give us things to say, like, and she listened to my voice and my voice was really high at the time. And I've always been made fun of for sounding like I'm white. Um, but she was like, that voice is going to make money over here, bitch. And so she's like, say that your name is Becky. That was my audition name. I swear to God. Becky is your, Becky is your audition name. And then they literally hook you up to the system and they make you take phone sex calls immediately. This is gold mines hosted by Kevin Hart. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert. And I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure. Because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Now more from Kevin Hart on Goldmines. Well, the whole idea of phone sex is when somebody go, huh? And you go, what? What'd you say? I said that. I said I just said that I repeating yourself on phone sex is the worst. Like that's the worst shit ever. Like that, I tell my wife that all the time. Like when I call to try to talk shit. Yeah, hey, I, look, well, I'm, I'm on my way. You already know what it is. What you say? You was breaking up, man. I call you back. It's over. 
It's over. I can't repeat it. It's I, that's better my if you're being paid, though, because that just clocks. That takes longer. It takes longer. So, it takes so you, longer. The so you were basically you you're 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 embedded into the world of phone sex. Okay, mm-hmm. this thing is now flying. You you get the job. You're making money, right? Yes, you're, I'm making money, and I'm just about because I I had dropped out of school and I couldn't go back because I had like there's a I I was using my mom's tax income to go the first time, but I couldn't wow. use it anymore. So I had to wait till I was the age of 24 in order to use my own. So I took. And like, I was told this at like 21 and you literally do have to wait till 24 to use your own tactics to get into school. And so I had three years and I spent those three years doing phone sex and I finally got back in school. But in the meantime, just to like waste time, I had done some, some plays at my best friend's school. And so I literally just signed up for school, paid everything. And I get a phone call and my friend is like, Hey, there's this movie that's coming to audition here where you've done plays before. The movie is called Push. It's based on the book Push by Sapphire. And I was like, oh, I already know that book. My mom read it. So the day he he was like, well, come in for this audition. I was like, I really don't think so. Because I had class at the same time as this audition, right? And so I didn't know whether I was going to go the day before I called my mom. Cause she was like, my mom was performing in like, she was some, she was in South America performing with some choir. And I called her, I go, Hey, where's that book at? And she told me, and I said, okay, bet. And I reread one wow. page of the book, the very first page. By the, the way, next- on top of that, just, just to stop you like real quick, just so you understand this, as you're talking about like, no desire for acting, no desire to get in the business. I want to make this very clear. Your phone sex job was prep. Mm-hmm. You're, you're like, that's your acting. And for the years that you had that job and the success in creating whatever the worlds were that you created to keep said clients on the phone, well, you were taking on either the character of Becky or multiple other uh, creative sex Melody. figures in your head. Yeah, Melody. I figured it was probably about a good four or five that you would tap into. <laughs> no, uh, one but- girl name, but every time there's a bunch of, uh, there's like hundreds of phone lines that filter into one. So there would be like horny housewife and then barely legal and then college girl and then Asian girl and then trans girl and then black girl and then Latina girl and then housewife again. So I, but I would always be the same name, but I would be all of these different people, these you different ages do, with you. You could do into all of those things. Yes. You can tap into them all. You're uh-huh. acting. Okay. <laughs> I mean, by the way, it's a, it's a, that's a darker, we're behind a darker door just to be clear. Right. It's a like, don't open that door. Oh shit. You did. And what's back there is back there. Okay. But, but it's practice. It's practice. So now you, you find yourself, you find yourself in this position where this thing that you and your mom talked about, that your mom kind of spoke into existence way back then, has reared his head five years now after. So you decided to go on the audition. Um, what? Love at first sight? Bad? Well, good? Well, I kind of, I'm, you know what, I 100% believe in something bigger than myself, bigger than everything that we can see. I think that my steps are ordered. And okay. I think that, uh, I think that if I let myself, I will move towards my destiny. So I actually, what, is that, what so does the, that mean? Is that, that seems like, spiritual? What, what is so, that? Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, 
it's, I think that a lot of my life has already been written. I also think that I manifest a lot of things Mm -hmm. on my own. Like my husband, I used to, this is another thing entirely, but I used to write these like short stories, these like soap operas when I was a teenager. And I would write this like incredible love and this incredible romance for myself. And when I met my husband, my husband would sometimes say an exact sentence that I had written for the love of my life. Like, I think that, I think that we, I, I think that there is free will, but I also think that there's destiny. And I think the Mm -hmm. free will keeps us away from our destiny. But if we, if we follow and if we let it lead us, that we'll end up there. So the, the morning of the audition, uh, I had class. My class was downtown. The audition was uptown. I leave the, I leave my apartment. I do not know where I'm going. Cause if I go to the audition, I have to miss the class. If I miss the class, I'm missing, I'm going to, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to go downtown where class is. There is a movie filming on the downtown side of the street. Oh my goodness. Now no, I've never been on a movie. I've never been on a movie set. I try to walk through. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's completely out of my control. But yeah. I've never been on a movie set before, so I'm walking through. This is my neighborhood, the fuck, you know? So <laughs> as I'm walking through, this guy, and it was, it turned out to be um, Denzel Washington's American Gangster. And okay. so everybody was dressed in, like, 70s gear. Mm-hmm. And this dude, he, like, he must have been an extra. He had this, like, beautiful smile, like, beautiful dark skin and afro and this, like, leather brown pea coat and he stopped me he goes hey sister uh would you mind crossing the street because we're filming here and I was like you want me to cross the street to the uptown side and he was like yeah that would be really helpful and I was like okay and the uptown side is where the audition was and so I just went uptown and I auditioned (laughs) and I auditioned and with an hour I got a call for a call back which was the next day I did the call back the next day. I got a call within half an hour that the director wanted to meet me. I auditioned on Monday. I was hired on Wednesday. Completely out of my control. And then as, so Lee Daniels is the director. As he's driving me home for the first time, he's like getting to know me. He said, now who are your parents? Like, where are you, you know, blah, blah, blah. What is your, what do your parents do? And I said, oh, my mom is a subway singer. And he said, wait a minute. Wow. Which one? Because I look exactly like my mom. He opened his glove compartment and he had my mother's CD in his glove compartment. And he said, I wanted this lady to be in my movie. Lee goddamn (laughs) did. And also, when I walk into his office, yes, there's a picture of Monique playing the mother. And I said, God damn it. That bitch was correct. Yeah. Mom (laughs) manifested, spoke it. You simply avoided it, denied it. And the universe said, I'm not having it because you're going to do it. I got to make you see it otherwise. Holy cow. So you, you go, you are now thrown into the world of acting. Um, You do a phenomenal job, phenomenal job in this movie. Uh, After that, do you say to yourself, this is my career? This is what I'm choosing. Like when when did the decision come to like have the defining moment with self? By self, of course, I'm talking about you with yourself, to say, I'm now going to make a decision of school, no school, acting, pursue it, 
or don't? Like, when did it happen? I guess the first time I realized that I couldn't not fly first class anymore. Mm. Probably then. Um, mm. <laughs> really, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. I absolutely, for this, this thing that I would outrun, I love what I do for a living. Mm. I love it. I love creating characters. I love, I love watching other actors create characters and those and our characters meeting and melding and, and, you know, interacting. I love movie making. I love TV making. I love telling story. I love shining lights on stories that, you know, the stories of people in our real lives. You know, I, I remember when I had to do press for, I did press for precious all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, like everywhere, Japan, Australia, like everywhere. And so many people were like, so is this the way black Americans are? Or like, and you know, and it, which, which that gets funny because like, you can't, I, I learned very, very early that like, I can't just be an actor. I have to be a black actor, which mm. is something that white mm. people just get to be. And black people mm. have to be the black version of the thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to uplift and you hold on to the community and all of mm-hmm. these things. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there's, a, there's a tinge less freedom uh, that comes along with this. But I, you know, and I think my next big movie, I was in Tower Heist with Eddie Murphy and Ben Stiller and I was playing a maid. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so is this how black Americans are? And it's like, are you all maids? And are you all like poor and being raped by your dad? And, it's, and I was like, look, this isn't everybody's story when I'm a monolith. But I do think that there is an importance in you know, these people who I, you know, I know I grew up with a girl, my best friend was a lot like Precious and had a life like her. And so as I'm taking on this role, I felt like I was honoring her Mm. and, and I was getting to tell her story in a way that she never could on her own. And my grandmother raised nine kids by being paid a dollar a day as a maid back in Charles Junction. And so why not play a maid? I'm honoring, I'm honoring not just my grandmother, but like I'm honoring people who actually live this life. Yes. You found great value in the role. You find great, found great understanding and, and bandwidth in the role. I love Absolutely. And there's importance. Everyone needs their story to be told. Everyone, no one is, no one is too good or not good enough. Hmm. Hmm. You're saying so much, and and there's so many gems um, all throughout what has been said so far. Uh, we're not done. We still got more to talk about. And I hope <laughs> that the people are are really listening and and holding on to this. There's so much. There's so much value. There's so much value in in the trajectory of or the discovery. Um, not just how you got there, but how you were able to obtain and your reason for why. I I love it. Full circle. Um, I think my next question goes to like, you know, you're so like, I told you earlier, like it's the charisma, like certain things you just can't fake, right? Like people, people either have it or they don't. And um, that captivating feature of when I talk, people are going to listen because of how I talk, energy I talk with. I'm expressive. Like, as we're talking, move your hands. What? No, bitch. I said, don't. (laughs) Don't call me. There's so much, but there's a nice energy to it. Um, With that energy, right? And that ability to captivate. I mean, my question to you is like, when it comes to telling stories, have you thought about your story? Have you thought about telling your story? 
Yeah. And I think oh, I'm. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. It's <laughs> like, here's oh, the thing. You know, you know, like I know, that there are things that you can, that you can say things into the world and you can never unsay it. Okay. There are pieces of yourself that you give away in your story a lot. I am, I have told parts of my story. Like I, like the book that I wrote in, this is just my face. Like, I mean, I try to set you up with the best like (laughs) segue ever. I'm like, yeah, I get that's why. Go ahead. I I also know. So like, yes, I have told my story and this is just my face. Try not to stare. And people are like, wow, you, um, wow, you, you told a lot. Wow. Mm, do you have any secrets left? And I'm like, of course I do, bitch. I don't know you. I kind of like, like I, I think I like wrote the book when I was, it took me, I wrote the book by myself, mind you. Mm-hmm. I sat down for three years and wrote this book on my way to set. Like I have to be at set at five in the morning. I woke up at two in the morning to write for three hours, you know, or I come home and I write, write for four hours after And so I wrote everything myself so that I could make sure that I was comfortable with what I was saying. And I was giving as much of my truth as, as, as I could sleep with at night, you Mm. know? And Mm -hmm. it was, I was like 30 something. And I was like, you don't know the half of the things I've been like, that that book isn't the half of what I've been through. And I, because I, because there's a way I can tell my story to you. I can tell you verbatim, this is what happened. This is where it happened. This is who did it and who didn't do it and that whole thing. But then I'm also able to tell my stories through my work too. Like I'm able to tell my story through the characters that I build. Mm -hmm. And I am so that you don't, you know, I might be in a film about, you know, someone who is a single mother or, you know, trying to get a job done or someone who discovers that they're a queen or someone, you know, a lot of different stories that like aren't necessarily my story, but because I'm the one telling them, there will be pieces of me in it. And I'm grateful for that. There's something so where where I was where I was uh where I was leading you to is like there's something so dope about the story in the story, right? Like in other words, like you know, you ever watch a movie, but the movie's about a movie being made. And mm-hmm. while watching the movie, you're watching the movie get made, and the movie's about the struggle to make the movie while watching the movie. Like it's like there's there's two different stories or three different stories. What I think is so dope about your story now, right? You've shared so much about yourself in your memoir, right? But your memoir and the the truth to how you got to the job and life uh, before and then life in the moment, through the moment and now after. I think the visual side to the girl that didn't want to do the thing and her reason for not wanting to do it based off of watching someone that she's so close to and so it's like um, invested in being your mother. I'm not touching this thing. I'm avoiding this thing. And you avoided it only to find yourself in it. And then in doing it, you somehow reach what's deemed to be the best level at it so quick. And life after obtaining such a thing so quick becomes life that is so hard and rocky because the mind and the mental is attached to something that happens so fast. So the journey of all yeah. these things that are about to present itself is completely different. That story, that fucking, that right there to me, 
is so unbelievably interesting because the world has no idea what the lens is that you had to look through based yeah. off of the speed and trajectory in which you found success. It doesn't happen. That don't happen. So the fact that it happened, the real story is like, hey, bitches, I ain't supposed to get where I got this fast. And now that I did, well, holy shit, this, all this stuff over here is completely different. And it's like, like I, I know because I'm in it, right. I know, I know the path that you walked down. I know, you know, but when that water got rocky and when it didn't. It's different when you work for it. I always mm-hmm. feel a little, I always feel a little, little tiny bit like I cheated. I have, I definitely deal with imposter syndrome, but the fact that it, it happened so fast and at such a high level mm-hmm. and I did, I, to this, I've never taken classes. Like I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get an agent or a manager until after I shot that movie. I had not, I had nothing. I'm just out here, you know, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, this is your first time. Um, and so I always feel like I skipped a ton of steps, which makes me feel a tad guilty because it really truly was not the plan. It wasn't even plan B or C. Yeah, you I know. I'm working on it. If you don't listen to anything, and by the way, you threw out uh, a therapy word. So I know that there's some therapy in there somewhere. Imposter syndrome. Ah, sure. it's a show. Yeah, sure. yeah, when people <laughs> say things, I catch them. I don't. I don't know much, but I know like the words, so I can tell. But here's what I would tell you, right? And this is coming from a a a moment of relatability, right? When I'm when I say like the chosen ones, I feel like, and I'm not an over religious person, uh, but I do believe in God, right? And whether you believe in God or higher power or not, I do believe like there are some individuals that are clear definitions of the higher powers, like child, children, choices, um, and not just through the beaming concept of what's deemed to be a star. Um, I think it's about the, the trail, the trailblazing concept, right? Who creates, who navigates, who stands in it, who won't quit. Like the stories that become some of the best stories come with some of the most like craziest moments that, you weren't necessarily prepared for, but that you were able to make the best out of. And the talent is the talent. You can't, you, you can't deny the talent. It's the opportunity matching with the talent at the right time. And sometimes that's where the luck kicks in. You are lucky for the talent and the opportunity to merge correctly. Right. You did mm-hmm. some plays before the sex job or whatever else. These are all things that unlike unbeknownst to you, you couldn't see that were connecting the dots. Me working at a fucking sneaker store and being the funny guy at the store and personalities. I just so happened to run into the one person in my life that said you should be a comedian. They got an amateur night around the corner. I wouldn't have never known about comedy clubs. I wouldn't have never known where to go if Allison, my manager of City Sports, until this day I shout her out, didn't say, Kevin, you should try comedy. 
Sometimes those arrows and those dots, they connect, but they got nothing to do with you. It just fucking yeah. connects. And, and you can't go, I suffer from the imposter syndrome because you're not being an imposter by taking advantage of the opportunity. The imposter, the imposter becomes an imposter when the opportunity presents itself, it's success, and then you don't make the best of what you now know you can. That's the difference. That's, that's really true. And I have to tell you, I, what, what really sort of started the imposter syndrome was it was really rough for a bit after, Mm -hmm. after like while I was feeling precious and after, because it was an opportunity that my mother said no to. Mm -hmm. And so our relationship got really uh, tumultuous for a bit Mm -hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think for my mom, she could see firsthand in her own home what the repercussions of not saying yes to an opportunity was. Mm. And I think she, she, I think, I know, she took it out on me for mm-hmm. a bit and she made me pay uh, for what she didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, sometimes, you know, we see people who are like, oh, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. But I was too, I think that's how my mom felt. And I was too close to her. Mm. And that's how I felt too. I was like, well, shit, I could be at home. I could have said no. And it would have been this. And I would have, you know, my mom had anger, which made me angry. And and it was, um, it was not great for a while, for a long while, for, I want to say maybe a decade after that. That's your story. That's your, that's your story. And honestly, like. At some point in time, that's your that's your passion project. If nothing else, I hope it's in another five years or ten years. But well, remember that I said it to you. Just remember. I think it'll, I'm sorry. Remember, keep going. I was just gonna say. Just remember, I said it to you. Like that. You, what you are talking about is so important. It's so important because the truth that you know that exists within a business that's perceived to be nothing but glamour, lights, and glory, the struggle after the glory, for some, is the worst struggle that ultimately gets you to the best place of peace. And that story, that mm-hmm. overcoming, that mountain, that's the, that, that's the difference. That shit yeah. is the difference. And that's like... As someone that I'm telling you, like I fought the fight. I'm 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 not talking to you like no, from I the know outside. You know. I'm, ta- I'm, ta- I'm talking to you from like I fought the fight. No, like, I know you know. Because the, they the, think people think you change. People think you change. That oh, you got a big head now. Now you got money. Now you're on TV. Now you think you this and that. But like what what and like and some of that does happen. But also what changes is the world around you. 1, the expectations. Of you change from your family changes, like your friends change because what they expect of you is different. And they also, and it feels like a lot of them want to say you change. And so mm-hmm. they also change. Everybody changes and evolves and we're supposed to, but like the way it happens when there's egos involved and there's a spotlight and the like, well, I'm just as funny as you. And so I don't know why you the one, you know, and it's like in all of that. And it's, 
And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? But at the same time, I still love you and I can still see you struggling. And so I'm helping while I'm helping. And now the help is met with resentment, but I still need your help. But I still, I hate you for not being me. I want you to hold on to what I'm about to say. Okay. I've had some great conversations on here. You know, like I really love, I really love this podcast. I really love the opportunity to talk to, um, you know, people that I call friends that I've known. And I love the fact that I can talk to people that I don't know. And in this case, I, I don't know you, mm-hmm. but I feel you. I relate and I understand. And when you, when you say the things you say and you get the energy that you're getting back from me, if nothing else, I hope you take away you want. And, and the, the win, the win isn't, you know, more awards or more like success and glory. The win is this. It's like I discovered something that I didn't know that I would love. I found an amazing love for it. I found happiness in what I choose to do with my living. Then I got hit with the challenge from my outside and from my inside loved ones and peers that really I think were put in front of me to test and see if I really was going to stay true to the thing that I just basically said I love and I want to do. I got challenged to see if I could be set off my my rocker or or my new my new mindset attached to this new thing and this new energy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just say things and you let shit go away. Sometimes you just say, I'm going to do, and then you never do again. And these are things you become okay with. But the challenge of this one well, was different because you said you loved it and you meant it to yourself. So the real win, the real win came from staying true to it when it got dark as fuck and nobody else knows except you. Yeah. That's the real win. And I'm telling you, I see that. I feel that. And when you're now talking about, oh, my show and my books and I'm still here and I'm happy and my love and my husband, et cetera, like you're on the other side of it. The dope thing is when you get to tell that story and you get to showcase it from the lens and time will repeat itself because you're going to put the next version of you or the next version of whomever on to go and now have a new journey, a new dream, because you're telling through the fucking lens of truth that you went through. You don't drop that ball. Oh, no, I just, um, I was going to mention this earlier. You're right about this story, this behind the scenes story being the real story, the real interesting story. It is. And it's, um, I shot a pilot for my show uh, last year. Uh, it's called, well, I'm, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping we are literally shopping it right now, but we have a pilot shot for 1266, which was my girl name when I was a phone sex operator. And it's, it's hilarious. It's so fun. It's, it's so fun. And it's, and it's the real story. It's the story of, you know, what I was doing on the phone for those three years and how I got there. And like, maybe it'll be about how I get out, but like, you know, the women that I met on the phones, the family that I made at the phone sexery or the, um, mm. that's what I sometimes mm-hmm. call it, <laughs> the phone sexery. And, um, and also it'll be the story of, 
you know, of my family within that, within all of that. And so I, and I'm, and I'm so grateful that like, I am, I'm in control of my story. I'm in control of it. I'm the one that wrote it. You know, I wrote my book and I get to create this pilot with my partner, Timby Banks. And, um, it's, you know, a lot of like in the beginning of your career, like you, you know, you want to say yes to as many things as possible because you're completely out of control. You know, mm-hmm. like you're not in control of, you know, your image of your thing. You're just trying to, you're just, I was just trying to keep that door. I was just trying to keep, you know, the struggle down. I was trying to make sure that I had a place to live and that everybody that I loved also had a place to live. So I said yes to a lot of things. And, um, and now, now I'm in control. And I get to, and I get to be the one to say yes to other people. You are, you're not only in control, but you're amazing. This, this conversation was amazing. Um, uh, You blew me away. You just blew me away. And I, and I hope the, I hope the audience uh, that's listening feels the same. And, you know, I, I think, you know, more light bulbs are going to go off for you. Uh, as you realize just how much story you actually have. And, you know, you're, the definition of strength, the definition of awareness, uh, and just like perseverance, man, like you're dope. You're fucking Thank dope. You. And this was, a, this was a dope conversation with dope energy and dope gems, ladies and gentlemen. That's what <laughs> happens here, okay? You listen, and when you listen, you'll find that you don't know and shit that you don't know will you obtain and you learn there's a lot of stuff to take away from this episode mm. there's a lot that we can all learn from this episode um thank you you made my day you ah did. you, you made, made mine yeah, <laughs> like, what, then, what a gigantic compliment thank you no i'm serious and, I, and i'm not saying it i'm not saying it like you know uh half-ass i really <laughs> i really do mean it you made my day uh ladies and gentlemen this is Gold Minds. You know what we do here. We get inside the minds of amazing individuals. And today was no different. Okay, I'm going for it. I'm going to go for it. Um, Gaboret. Gaboret. Yeah. Am I saying like, no, is that how they, is that how, am I saying it like the American? You want to say it like my daddy says it? Yes, I'm trying to say it how he says it. Tell me Gabure. again. Gaboret. Gaboret. You like Gabure. trying to roll the R. Gaboret. Gaboret. Yes. Gaboret. Yes. Yep. You got Gabure. it. Gaboret. Okay, that's how I'm going to say it. From now on, when I see you, you're going to go, Kevin Hart is the only person that says my name actually correctly. He's the only one that cares enough to say it correctly. Gabriel, sit uh, you. are amazing. Guys, make sure you please check out our show, uh, The Prank Show. It's called Prank Panel. It's on ABC. Uh, read a memoir. Uh, if you still want to know more, go. The memoir is called uh, This Is Just My Face. Please try not to stare. Um, you know, once again, Full of gems you are, and I can't wait to hear more of your story. Thank you so much for having me. This is really wonderful. I'm such a huge fan. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wyel. Produced by Danny Sellers and Leslie Guam. And engineered by Danny Sellers. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing.
You might not think that a few simple words can make you crave McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But if you listen closely to the sound of me saying McGriddles, McMuffin, you might be wrong. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.